Basically, so just wanted, as we start out looking at the message for tonight, just wanted to kind of catch us up to speed. Uh, for some of us, we, we may have been away for, for different points, uh, so I thought it would be worth catching us up to speed with where we're at. So we're now on week five of our series on the book of Jonah. Um, Mike started us off in week one, um, looking at the beginning of chapter one, and then I picked up on week two, looking at chapter one through to the end of that chapter where Jonah has been told to go to Nineveh and to, to preach and to see the people of Nineveh come to God. And what happened was Jonah kind of just went, nah, not going to do that. Don't really want to go to Nineveh. Have you seen those, have you seen those people, God? You know, they're probably going to kill me if I say a word wrong. And so Jonah decides to go onto a boat to Tarshish which is in completely the opposite direction to Nineveh. So he's not just going around and going, God, I'm just not going to do it. I'm just going to stay put. He's going, no, I'm going to go completely the other way to what you're asking me to do. Then we, we pick up on there after Jonah is thrown off of the boat into the water, which in of itself was, seems to be a way of Jonah trying to still avoid going to Nineveh. Being, imagine being so willing to avoid God's calling that you're willing to, to die to avoid doing what God's called you to do. Which seems to be kind of the, the thing that stood out to me from reading Jonah 1. That Jonah was so against going to, Jonah, to Nineveh that he was willing to be thrown overboard and, and potentially die. But God, in his, in his ultimate grace, sent a great fish to swallow up Jonah and he stayed in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And, and Mike picked up on that when we looked at chapter two on week three. And then last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter three. So this week, what we're going to do is going to have a look at Jonah chapter three as, as AJ kindly read, read to us. And we're going to really focus from verse three up until the end of the chapter. And then next week, we'll be looking at Jonah chapter four. So that's really kind of us came up to speed with that. I was going to originally read the passage again, but since we, we've, we've done that, what we'll do is we'll, we'll pray that God uh, speaks to us through this time and that he be with us as we listen to his word. Dear Lord Jesus, just want to thank you for who you are, for your life, your, your death and your resurrection. We just pray right now, God, as we listen to your word being spoke that you minister to us and that you impart into us what you want us to take from this passage. So God, we just pray that you be with us and that you, you speak to us and that you be with, with me and you give me the words you want me to say in this message. Amen. 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 So really, as we're going through the passage, I've kind of work in my head was that this passage could be really summed up into basically one line, and that was preaching when it matters. Now, when we talk about, talking about preaching here, I'm not necessarily talking about preaching like this, standing at a pulpit in front of a group of people. It could be that, 100%. Um, if you look at the New Testament, Acts 2, we see that is the, a key catalyst in the formation of the early church, that Peter stood up in front of a crowd of people, preached, and 3,000 people became Christians on that day. 
But what we're really talking about here when we talk about preaching when it matters is what is an old word that we use quite often, which is called evangelism. We've all heard that before, but basically evangelism is going out and sharing our faith. And this is what Jonah was called to do. If we look at verse 3 in chapter 3 here, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, one of the things that really strikes here is this whole idea of that this is actually Jonah finally doing what God has asked him to do. It seems to take him quite a while to get from basically being called the first time to being called here. He's, see, he's been, he's went away, went to try and flee over to completely the opposite direction. He's been in the, in the belly of a, of a fish. Traditionally, we tend to call it the whale quite often. Um, but, and you can just imagine it being in there, this slimy, disgusting kind of place, and you have to live in there for three days and three nights. So now Jonah's finally going to go and preach. And what we see is something amazing happen here. And this kind of shows the, the real power of sharing, sharing our faith, sharing what God has asked us to do, or ultimately honouring God in preaching his word. Jonah goes into Nineveh, this great city, this massive city. So much so it takes about three days to just walk around it. And he goes and proclaims, in 40 days, that Nineveh will be overthrown. So the people have got a, a title, they've got 40 days to get things in order, to get things right with God. And what is amazing that happens is that the people believe, the people listen to, to this message and they understand, they hear this message and they know it's true. And they decide to turn from, from the, their evil ways. And this message goes even so far as to reaching the king of Nineveh, who does exactly the same thing. He hears this word and he knows that it's time to, to turn their lives around. So having to think about how this kind of plays into the world today, because realistically, this passage can really be summed up very quickly in that Jonah goes and preaches, people are saved, God stops his plan to destroy the city. That's the passage summed up in a nutshell. However, I believe we need to go a step further and kind of have a look and see how this affects our lives today. How, because God's word is a living and active. It is a word that goes from creation to second coming. So realistically, anything to do with God's word, there has got to be something that we can take from that that remains true to the time that Jonah was written, but is also true today. So the question is, what is that? And I think really that comes do we need to preach like what you So I want to turn over to a passage in the New Testament quite quickly. as It's one we may all be familiar with, but it's Luke chapter 17. And it's a, it's a well-known known, known passage. If you go into certain circles, it gets discussed in the when. However, we're not going to even look into half of those uh, sometimes weird connotations even. We're just going to look at the passage and see how this reflects on the into this passage, Jonah. So this is Luke 17, verses 20, and I'm going to read through to the end, so I'm going to read through to verse 37. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is. Or therefore, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. 
And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you would desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it would be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was just in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, I know that's a bit of a a long read to add into um, tonight's message, but I thought really this is a really big part of kind of the the modern kind of understanding of this this passage. If we look at this passage, what we see is that that Jesus is saying to the people that just as things were in in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot, times where biblically it is known that there was a tremendous amount of wickedness going on and God needed to step in and sort things out. In one sense, we're, we're kind of we're getting there in, this, in that culture today. We're more or less at that point again, where basically that the world's gradually getting more and more wicked, turning away from God, basically wanting to follow their own fads, their own feelings, their own opinions, and they're not concerned one in one iota about the truth of God or the truth of His Word. So in that sense need to preach like this again today. Jonah went out, was passionately preaching about this, listen and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Similar to, you can imagine, more or less similar to the words that Jesus would have spoke. Jesus said similar things. So these, we need to preach like this again today because it's hard to look at the news or to look at anything that we read online or wherever we, we get our information from, to not see that the world is becoming more like this again. And God needs, needs to intervene. And what's amazing with this passage, as we see here, the preaching of, of his words, sharing our faith, evangelizing with different people who don't know Jesus, who don't know God. What God does is he, he blesses them and brings people to him. We see that, again, I mentioned earlier on, Acts chapter 2 is, to be honest, one of my favorite passages in the chapters in the whole Bible, uh, because I'm a, I'm a bit of a history, history buff nowadays. Just look, so seeing how the church started just fascinates me. And what we see, well, I see in Acts chapter 2 is that the disciples responded to the Great Commission. They went out, shared their faith. God blessed that and brought people to faith. 
And then when they actually applied that and actually brought in discipleship into play, God blessed that again and brought even more people in. So that kind of leads us onto the application side of this. Because, to be honest, I've just been over in, uh, over in the Stafford this last week. And one of the things that we see there, so there was lots of young people becoming Christians. There was about 5,000 people there. And over the five years, probably about 300 people became Christians. And one of the legitimate questions coming out of that for a lot of the leaders was, will, is, this a re- is this a real commitment? Or is this just basically they're on a high from the experience of the worship? Or they're on a high from, the, from hearing the message that was spoken? Is, you know, is this a decision that they've made that is actually going to stick? So we can, we can, so we can preach God's word and we can hear, see people come to busy more or less a, a, a fad in a sense. You see them just go, yes, I'm a Christian. But three weeks later, three months later, three years later, they're nowhere to be found because there hasn't been a heart connection there. And that is the key when it comes to preaching the gospel. And that is what we see here. We see the heart connection here. We see that in, in the latter part of, of this chapter. Where if we look particularly at verses 8 and 9, it says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So they had a heart connection here. They knew that deep down, if, they were, if this was true, if God is really behind this, that they needed to flip a switch to turn their lives around and to turn from their evil deeds. And that is where the application comes in. And that is where, I, I think in part, discipleship comes into play. Because if you look at this, realistically, the questions are there. What happened to these, these people? Were they, were they still following years later? There was indications that that, that wasn't necessarily the case. So this is kind of where we look at it and go, what can we do as a community? What can we do to see people who come to faith grow and mature as disciples of Jesus Christ? Because that's really God's, God's aim with discipleship. It's to see people come to know him, grow, and to learn to live and love like Jesus Christ. And what's really amazing about this passage, another thing that's really amazing, is in verse 9, it seems to be an indication that the people in Nineveh didn't know whether God would actually forgive them. If you look at, let's look at verse 9 again, it says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn for his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They didn't know whether God was going to forgive them. They didn't know whether God had done too much damage. What they did know was that if, if they wanted, if God had truly spoken to them, they had to make a change. Regardless of what the outcome was in the end, they had to start living a life that honoured God. Whether or not that meant that they were completely over, overthrown or what, whatever happened, happened. And that is, that is a challenge for us because when we think about it realistically, our salvation rests on Jesus Christ entirely. It does not rest on anything that we do. Sometimes we can almost come to Christ in a, 
in the sense of being like a divine genie or a holy slot machine where we basically kind of go, God, if I do this thing for you, you do this thing for me. And we sometimes come up to that. I know I'm, I'm guilty of that on occasion and uh, I've done it far more than I probably would like to admit from a pulpit. But the reality of it is that it is God's glory that is the, the chief aim in everything that we do. And it's amazing that at that time where Jonah finally kind of followed God's calling and finally did what God was asking him to do, the thing that was going to glorify God the most, we see people being saved. And that is really at the heart of this passage. It's really at the heart of the whole account of Jonah. Everything from chapter 1, even through to chapter 4, the salvation of the people of Nineveh is right at the heart of this. So let's ask ourselves the question, what, what about today? Again, everything in the Bible can come into the modern time in a sense that it's true to what was, what was written and what was, was spoken, but also actually fits the culture of the day at the same time. So what could, what could this look like for, for this state outside? What could this look like for here in shiny Rome? Could we see People come in the Personally, if, if my understanding of the, of the Bible tells me anything, that, the answer to that is absolutely 100%. But it boils down to us being bold, maybe stepping off our comfort zone, maybe getting a bit, a bit uncomfortable, and basically sharing with people who we may have never met before, people who we don't know whether they're going to react. Um, positively or negatively it requires us basically getting out there and seeing the people have you met Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? And on that note I'd like to share a little story with, with you there's a, I was, a story I was reading recently about a guy called, called Roger who has just finished off a term in the army and he was going back to, to his home um, he lived in America um, but so Unfortunately, he didn't actually have, a lit, have any means of transportation to get home. So he hitchhiked. So he stand along the And eventually a car comes past. And it's quite a posh-looking car. So he kid goes, I don't know if this guy's going to you know, tip me in. Um, you know, he's got such a, nice, he's such a nice car. And look at me, I'm kind of in the... I'm mucky, I'm in the, in the camo. Um, I might just dirty up his car. And to his surprise, this car stopped. So he, he rushes to the back, puts his bags in the boot, sits in the car, and off they go. And the, the, dri the driver turns out to, to Roger, introduces Yeah, I'm not this, sorry, uh, bit of a, sometimes a bit of a funny name to pronounce, but obviously his name is the Hanover. And he, he says to him, uh, look, I'm only going to Chicago. I, I can drop you there if that's okay. So Roger turns around to him and says, actually, I've got, got family in Chicago. Yeah, you drop me off. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Along the way of, of this journey, Roger starts getting this burning sensation that he needs to speak up. Roger's, Roger's a Christian, and he, this burning sensation he's got in his, in his belly is that he needs to tell... Mr. Hanover about, about Jesus Christ. 
So he, he leans over, taps Mr. Hanover on the shoulder and says, can I tell you about Jesus? And Mr. Hanover says, I'm listening. So Roger proceeds to, to, to share with him about, about Jesus Christ, about his entering into the earth, his death, his resurrection, and how that ultimately can lead to a relationship with God. Mr. Hanover eventually stopped. Roger's thinking, crumbs, I'm going to get kicked out of the car now. You know, I've, I've weeded him out. And what happens next really shocks Roger. Mr. Hanover leans over his head, prays, and receives Jesus Christ into his heart. So he's now a Christian. Eventually he drops off Roger in Chicago, and they exchange business cards so they can keep in contact with each other. But as quite often happens, uh, things, things change, they lose touch. And what happens next is about five years later, Roger's in Chicago. There's this conversation that happened in the car. So he thinks, well, I wonder if Mr. Hanover's still in, in the area. So he, he gets his business card, looks up his business, and goes to visit and sees if he can get some time to actually see him and catch up. He arrives at the, the business's offices and speaks to the receptionist. The receptionist says, I'm unfortunately, it's impossible for you to see Mr. Hanover, but I can arrange for you to, to meet his wife. So he goes, well, I was really hoping to see Mr. Hanover, but you know, I've been told I can't see him. I'll just make, I'll make do with going to see his wife and see if I'm fine how he's doing. So he meets his wife, and they're sitting there in the office, having a chat, having a, a nice little coffee. And says to, says to Mrs. Hanover, I'm just wondering, why um, couldn't I see Mr. Hanover? Um, you know, we had this great time five years ago. Um, we talked. I introduced him to, to Jesus Christ. He became a Christian on that trip. Um, I was really hoping I could see him. Where is he? To him and says, Roger, he's dead. He didn't make it home that night after that five-year trip. He's all wrong. And what she begins to do, she puts her head in her hands and starts crying. And as they, they continue the talk, Mrs. Townover reveals that she actually was a Christian herself, but she'd actually walked away from God because she'd been praying for, for years upon years that Mr. Hanover would become a Christian. And she did not know whether that happened. She thought God had, had let her down. And this news made her realize that God had actually kept his promise and that she needed to basically recommit her life to, to Jesus. This, is, this, is, this kind of story is kind of why preaching the gospel is so important because realistically we don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know whether, you know, you know, in that case we might not make it home tonight or we don't know whether we've got 10 years left. We just, oh, we just don't know this kind of stuff necessarily. So it's so important to actually go out there and preach the gospel boldly. And I'll be honest, one of the biggest regrets I have in my life, personally, is that I didn't do that sooner for my grandparents on my, my dad's side of the family. They both, both passed away several years ago now. And to be honest, I do not know whether they believe or not. 
I'll find, I'll find out one day, one way, one day, but I don't know. This whole thing of, of preaching the gospel, it's so important. Whether it's something that makes us comfortable or not, to be honest, that's not really necessarily relevant. And that's, that's, a, that's a, almost a bit of pill to swallow, but here's, here's the thing, I'm sat up here and I'm shaking in my boots behind the pulpit here. But the reality is that God is bigger than any uncomfortability that we have, any lack of confidence or any confidence. We may, you know, we may be people who can just go out there and just like be the most confident person in the world, or we may be the guy who prefers to, to hide, hide away and sit in the corner. But God is calling each and every one of us to speak the gospel, to, to minister to people, to reach, Jesus, to reach people for Jesus Christ. And this is how this passage really kind of really hits home into the modern day. Because the, the core, again, the crux of this passage, Jonah goes to preach the gospel. He goes to preach the love of God and people come to faith. That's really what, what it boils down to. So kind of as you look at bringing kind of the, the, this into to land and just kind of really consider, let's have a think about how, how this understanding of Jonah, chapter 3, that it's about going out there and sharing our faith, ministering to people, sharing the gospel. How Here at St. John's, how does this affect us with our family, with our friends? How does it affect us for those of us who, who still work in here? How does this affect us in, in what, anything that we do in our lives? Does it look like standing, standing up on a soapbox? Does it look like talking over coffee? What does it look like? The reality is that uh, it, it's God who has the answer to that. And that's something that, as a community, we, we need to be praying into. That God will lead us and direct us into that place. We've all, I think we've already started doing that. If you, it's, you know, we've been doing for almost, probably almost about two months now, I want to say. We've been going onto the little green just outside with some of the, the young, young people on the estate just playing, playing rounders or, and getting to know them a bit. That's, that's, that's part of it. And that's a, that's a, if I'm honest, that's a very good start for us as well. But that's got to continue. That's got to grow, that's got to develop. So let's just kind of work practically have a think about that as we go into our weeks. Let's be praying that God will, give, will lead us in that direction to reach people for him, for his kingdom, for his glory, and that we will see those who don't know Christ come to faith. That is really the biggest thing that we can draw out of this passage. And, next, and not to give some spoilers away, but one of the things that you see in this whole account of Jonah is that we get this real, this moment here, this amazing moment where people, where the whole city comes to faith, their king included. And it seems like a happy ending. Next, next week we'll find out, not so much. However, I, I think, personally, why, why don't we here at St. John's make it a different ending? Why don't we make it that where we are in chapter three is the ending. We go out, 
we share our faith and people come to know God. That is, the, that is the chief aim of God. He wants to bring people unto himself to know him as the risen Lord and Saviour and to understand that through his death and through his resurrection that they can have life with him forever. And what, what better thing can there be than that? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you again for this amazing privilege just to be able to, to share your word. I pray that what has been said here tonight will be something that really seeps into our hearts and that is something that we will apply to our lives. God bless this time as we finish off our service together. And God, just once again, we thank you for your death and for your resurrection, for the amazing love that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.